The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor? 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 You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Good morning, everyone. I'm Steve Cashel, radio host of the Chicago Bulls. Welcome to Sports Medicine Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Sports Medicine Weekly being presented in part by AlignMed. By Source, by Athletico, by ATI Physical Therapy, by Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, by Don Joy Orthopedics, by Karen Mulkin Health Consulting, by Integrated Orthopedics, and by Medwest. I'll soon be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, co-head team physician of the Chicago White Sox, and sports medicine specialist from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Back to get it going right after this on ESPN Radio. What comes to mind when you hear the words physical therapy? Maybe you think you don't need it, but what about those aches and pains in your knee, your ankle, your shoulder, or your back? When you decide that you've had enough, stop by ATI Physical Therapy. ATI offers complimentary screenings by a licensed provider at no cost. Don't waste any more time dealing with pain. Get the ATI Physical Therapy today and start feeling better fast. Visit ATIPT.com to schedule an appointment or find a location near you. When it comes to your health and wellness, you have a choice. Choose ATI Physical Therapy. The Chicago Bulls, White Sox, and DePaul Blue Demons rely on Midwest Orthopedics at Rush for advanced orthopedic treatment. So can you. We are the team physicians for these Chicago teams, and we're ready to be on your health care team, too. Get expert care from these regional leaders at four Chicagoland locations. Learn more at RushOrtho.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, your world-class team physicians. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. And we're back on Sports Medicine Weekly, Chicago's premier sports medicine program, coming your way each Saturday morning from 8.30 to 9 a.m., only on ESPN 1000. You can follow us on Twitter, at SMWHome, our website, smwhome.net, and sportsmedicineweekly.com. Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. And Dr. Cole, have you ever overtrained? That's one uh, term I don't think I can ever use of me ever overtraining. I try to train. But I never work up a good enough sweat to ever feel like I'm overtrained, ever get that hurt. Well, first of all, Steve, I want to say it's great to be back, right? Season Season, five, actually. Season five, yeah, Uh, after a brief hiatus, and uh, we have lots to talk about. So I think this is a great one one to start the season with because... uh, uh, we, you know, we're off, often talking about new exercise uh, re- re- regimens. We're talking about how to get people into uh, their programs, and uh, this time of year, sometimes people slack off a bit. So, um, if they're getting into a new program, it's very hard to differentiate overtraining from just being sore. I think that's what a lot of people have difficulty doing. You know, so I thought this is a perfect, appropriate topic to begin with. Well, Elizabeth Rassiopi is with us in studio from ATI Physical Therapy. She's a physical therapist working out of the North Michigan Avenue store in 324. I call it a store, the facility, right? ATI, you guys do a wonderful job. And thanks for being with us here in studio, Elizabeth. So uh, what does the term overtraining actually mean? Well, when we're talking about overtraining with athletes, we're usually talking about the condition that occurs when the athlete has exceeded their recovery capacity, meaning they have overtrained 
by increasing the intensity of the volume of their training. So basically they've overdone it. Are, right? They are, haven't are, given themselves enough rest. Are you speaking specifically uh, mostly towards muscle, muscle function, or do you get even the depths of sort of lactic acid and some of the physiology of overtraining? Well, I think that too depends on the athlete and kind of what are we talking about endurance athletes? Are we talking about Olympic weightlifters? Or are we talking about CrossFitters? Um, we also have to remember that overtraining is just as much a psychological, emotional, behavioral condition as it is a physical condition. So it can apply to all athletes across the board. So what about muscle overtraining? How, how, do, you, how do you define it? How does someone know that they've done too much? Well, with muscle overtraining, same as endurance, it's usually just a matter of not resting enough. So they've done that workout or they've done multiple workouts back to back to back without resting adequately. They're going to have very some of the same symptoms as an endurance athlete, maybe a marathon runner who has run back to back to back and not giving themselves enough rest. We're going to see a lot of similar symptoms and some different symptoms as well. So you're not just talking about one session in the same session of an overtrain. You're talking about too much in one week or overtraining. Explain that a little further when we're talking about time. It's kind of a continuum, right? If if you just train for one session, you might feel sore for a couple days. Usually if you feel sore for three days, you might have overdone it. But usually then after three or four days of rest, you get back into another workout. And your body's able to recover, and as a result, it ends up actually growing. So it actually... The, your muscles end up getting bigger, better, stronger. If you overdo it to the point where you're maybe working back-to-back days or not giving yourself more than three or four days, then that's when you see problems over time. So what are some of the symptoms of overtraining? Well, especially during the peak of the exercise, we're going to see increased fatigue. We're going to see increased difficulty of workouts. So say someone did a similar workout last week. This workout may be harder, even though it's the same. They're going to see weight gain sometimes or muscle loss, which we don't expect, right, when we're working out. Um, we also might see immune system decline. So they're getting infections more or they're getting colds more. All of these are physiological responses to that overtraining. Injuries as well? Definitely injuries, and that's what I see most in the clinic. A lot of joint and muscle pain, and then a lot of chronic injury, or sometimes injury that just comes out from um, one bout of exercise that overdid it. And Dr. Cole, when do you determine it's an overtraining injury? Just by asking questions, or can you see it then during an examination? You have to understand what comes in my office, for example. The types of things that I see with overtraining are usually uh, tendonitis type pictures. So I may see Achilles tendonitis. We may see rotator cuff tendonitis from uh, some of our uh, repetitive overhead activities. We've seen it with our CrossFit athletes. Whenever there's a really high intensity, maybe uh, over a prolonged period of time, especially in a somewhat competitive environment, I get people that come in with, you know, basically just tendonitis where their workouts are shut down because they've probably done too much and they haven't allowed recovery. Um, and it's pretty clear. You just take the history and say, look, what are you doing differently now than you're doing before? When you ask someone, what are you associated with? I'd say at least 80% of the time, someone will give you a history of a change in the way they train. I mean, some of the obvious ones are when people are training for marathon. Uh, that's a classic one where they're doing their sort of low mileage and they ramp up very quickly. Um, and you get a scent. They get knee pain out. Of, we've talked about runner's knee, things like that. We get Then we get stress fractures. There's a whole litany of things that happen with overtraining that it's all by history. 
Elizabeth Rassiopi is our guest from ATI Physical Therapy. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. Brand new season here of Sports Medicine Weekly, our fifth consecutive here on ESPN 1000. Elizabeth is a physical therapist working out of the 324 North Michigan Avenue facility for ATI at the clinic. And uh, so, Elizabeth, uh, leave us with some recommendations for avoiding overtraining but still trying to maximize your performance. Well, I think the most important thing is exactly that, avoiding overtraining, really preventing it in the first place. Because once you've overtrained, you have to take a lot of rest, a lot of recovery, and then you've lost a lot of time. So for those you know, marathon runners who have, you know, have maybe three weeks left until the marathon, that is when we see the most injury. So it's really important to make sure they're getting adequate rest between their workouts. So we recommend 48 hours. So if, say, if they go for a run on Monday try to wait till Wednesday to take another run. Also, we want to increase our training volume correctly, not too aggressively. Usually a lot of runners at least are familiar with the 10% rule. If you use that rule in pretty much anything, whether it be time or distance, and you only increase by 10% each week, you're much less likely to, to overtrain. What, can you elaborate on cross-training? In other words, if you've been high intensity with one activity, I would imagine you often will advocate, let's switch the activity, but you can still get some of the same benefits from it. And I highly recommend that. But you also have to remember, uh, especially for endurance athletes, if they're exercising for two, three hours and about, and then they go do swimming, say, for two, three hours and about, they're still putting a lot of stress on the heart. So you can still get some of those parasympathetic um, issues afterwards, which include some of the, the heart rate differences and... Uh, more behavioral, emotional issues sometimes. So you have to be careful with that too. Uh, I'd rec definitely recommend cross-training, but make sure you're not cross-training the same amount of time as, say, you're running. Do you? I'm going to ask you one other question. Mm -hmm. Do you have any of your endurance athletes who reach sort of a ceiling for lactic acid and so forth who just can't get over the hump? Occasionally, and that's when I like to incorporate some resistance training, making sure that they're doing some sort of strength training on the side, um, in addition to their running training or in addition to their swimming or whatever it might be, that sometimes actually helps because it's a different type of um, stress on the muscle. So sometimes it actually helps. Does it help them with more muscle mass? Does it help them accommodate or adapt to sort of, you know, the, the, the things that develop lactic acid and others that develop after high intensity? Yeah, sometimes it can actually change the muscle composition, yeah. the way that it it is formed. So sometimes that does happen, especially in elite athletes. We tend to see that more. Yeah, great. As we let you go, uh, anything new with ATI? No, we're doing great over at Michigan Avenue. Definitely come visit us. We do screenings, free screenings. So if there's any athletes out there that are uh, feeling like they're overtraining maybe a little bit or need some advice with their training, we're, we're open every day. People love the free screenings. Yeah, those are always nice. Go see ATI. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us here in studio. Thank you for having on me. On Sports Medicine Weekly. Elizabeth Rassiopi, ATI Physical Therapy, again, working out of the clinic at 324 North Michigan Avenue. Back with more of our program, Sports Medicine Weekly, right after this. On ESPN Radio. The Chicago Bulls, White Sox, and DePaul Blue Demons rely on Midwest Orthopedics at Rush for advanced orthopedic treatment. So can you. We are the team physicians for these Chicago teams, and we're ready to be on your healthcare team, too. Get expert care from these regional leaders at four Chicagoland locations. Learn more at RushOrtho.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, your world-class team physicians. 
feeling tired, sluggish, and overweight? If you're looking to lose weight and gain energy, join us in Karen Mulkin's 14-Day Transformation Cleanse. You're going to absolutely love this Whole Foods cleanse. You'll feel great, lose weight, build lean muscle, improve sleep, boost metabolism, and enhance athletic performance. This VIP done-for-you cleanse comes with a 14-day transformation wellness bag containing MCT Lean Vegan Protein Blend, fat-burning MCT Lean MCT Oil, snacks, superfoods, recipes, guidelines, videos, and other surprises. You will absolutely love this program. Sign up at 14daytransformation.com. That's the numbers 14daytransformation.com or visit Karen's website at karenmalkin.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N.com. ESPN Radio. With the action on the court, the diamond, or the gridiron. Comes alive. The NBA. The San Antonio Spurs are the world champions. Major League Baseball. San Francisco Giants are the champions of the baseball world. The new college football playoff. College football playoff national champion, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Your home for the best in sports play-by-play. ESPN 1000. Integrated Orthopedics is Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana's premier provider of thermal and compression therapy devices for people recovering from sports-related injuries or orthopedic surgical procedures. To learn more about the benefits of thermal and compression therapy and to determine if it's right for you, please contact your healthcare professional. For further information about Integrated Orthopedics products and services, please contact us at 773-248-6400. That's 773-248-6400. What comes to mind when you hear the words physical therapy? Maybe you think you don't need it, but what about those aches and pains in your knee, your ankle, your shoulder, or your back? When you decide that you've had enough, stop by ATI Physical Therapy. ATI offers complimentary screenings by a licensed provider at no cost. Don't waste any more time dealing with pain. Get the ATI Physical Therapy today and start feeling better fast. Visit ATIPT.com to schedule an appointment or find a location near you. When it comes to your health and wellness, you have a choice. Choose ATI Physical Therapy. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Back on Sports Medicine Weekly, net proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. I'm Steve Cashel, radio host of the Chicago Bulls, and with me, Dr. Brian Cole from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, also co-head team physician from the Chicago White Sox. Meniscus tears, Dr. Cole. Wow, we've talked a lot about that league. Who knew in Chicago what a meniscus tear was before these NBA players with Westbrook and Rose and all these different players going through with meniscus tears? And according to the American Journal of Sports Medicine, 129 meniscus tears in NBA athletes over a 21-season study. I would have thought there'd be more. You know, the problem is our reporting function with the NBA has always been a bit uh, challenged, to, okay. for lack of a better word. We're, we're doing great now. Uh, and over the last couple of years, uh, we have a electronic medical record that can track injuries when they happen in season, when they happen in the game, and uh, how long a player's out. So you, the, the really it's a reporting function. So it's quite probable that the rate was higher, uh, but we just don't have it documented well. So there are more lateral meniscus tears than medial meniscus tears. What's the difference between a lateral and a medial? Well, so, you know, the lateral is on the outer side, the medial is on the inner side. Lateral meniscal tears tend to happen uh, in younger patients uh, at a higher percentage. And as patients get older, say over the age of 30 or so, then medial meniscus tears become more prevalent. Most meniscus tears and high-energy injuries actually occur with ACL tears. 
the in the, the same knee then yeah the same exactly in the same knee that's actually extraordinarily common what's not common is an acute or sudden meniscal tear in a very young patient believe it or not most of the isolated meniscal tears happen in old older people so they happen because water content changes in the collagen. Collagen is what makes up the meniscus cartilage. And as that water content changes, they tend to degenerate over time. So an athlete's meniscus tear is a lot different than, say, one that happens through wear and tear over time. So what is a meniscus? You said cartilage. Is it a cushioning of the knee then? Is yeah. it over the, the, the knee cap? No, let me explain. So sure. there's two kinds of cartilage in the knee. One is the articular cartilage, which is the white cartilage that is lubricated, in a, and then that's what wears away with arthritis. So if you look at a chicken bone and you break it open, you see the white glistening cartilage, that's what, that's what articular cartilage is, and that's what goes away with arthritis. The other cartilage is the meniscus cartilage, and the meniscus is basically a C-shaped cartilage that's probably, uh, if, you know, if you were able to straighten out that C, it'd probably be an inch, two inches long, but it's curved. It's in a C-shape, right? Okay. And there's one on the inner side called the medial meniscus. There's one on the outer side called the lateral meniscus. And it's only about a quarter of an inch thick in the periphery, and it gets very thin in the center. So picture a C when you look down on top of it. It's wide or thicker in the periphery, and it's narrower towards the center. So it's like a wedge. Think of it like an uh, airplane tire. If a, uh, a, a, a plane lands and they put a chalk block behind it so it can't move, right? Right. It's a triangular-shaped block. That's exactly what a cross-section of the meniscus would look like. Think about stacking a bunch of those next to each other into a C. That's what the meniscus would look like, okay? All right, so when you have a flap that you need to remove or let's say it gets frayed and like yeah. Westbrook had three procedures right. done on his right. meniscus, so what are you doing? Yeah. Well, let's just first, so the function of the meniscus is to uh, sit between the end of the thigh bone, the femur, and the upper end of the shin bone or the tibia. It sits in the joint and it protects the cartilage. It provides additional lubrication. It's like a gasket. If you think about an engine block, right? If you ever take away, I don't know if you do any automotive, do you do any home automotive work? No. Okay. I don't either, but I do know, <laughs> I use this example a lot. If you take out, you know, the manifold off the top of an engine block, there's a there's a, a cork or rubber or some type of gasket that seals it in between, right? In some ways, the meniscus is like a gasket between the two ends of our bones that keeps it offloads. It reduces the load across those bones, right? Okay. It provides nutrition and it provides a sense of what we call proprioception, the ability for the body to tell where the joint is in space and time. Okay. So it has lots and lots of roles, but the most uh, important role that we understand is it can prevent the development of arthritis over some period of time when it's healthy. When it's not there, there's an increased incidence of arthritis because the cartilage, the articular cartilage, that white stuff is rubbing directly on white stuff on the other surface. So it's not bone on bone, but it's cartilage on cartilage, and it's less protected, and the loads are much higher when the meniscus is not there. So when they say bone on bone, they don't really mean bone on bone. 10 to 15 years down the road after having a a meniscal tear, about 50% of people will show some evidence on x-ray of having changes. Clinical symptoms, when someone says, look, I don't feel well, can lag another five to ten years. So while a lot of people will develop x-ray changes, they may never know that they've had a problem. There's about 500 to 700,000 meniscectomies done a year. It's the most common knee operation we do. Um, And most of those patients do beautifully, and I'll never see them back in my practice. There's a small percentage, however, that go on at a relatively young age to get early change. And those are people that I see because we run a transplant program, so we actually do meniscus transplants. But, you know, 
when I'm talking 500 to 700,000 meniscectomies done a year where we remove the meniscus because we cannot repair it, okay. there's only about 1,500 to 2,000 meniscal transplants done a year. So you can see most people do fine and don't have problems. Does so when, when there's a meniscus tear, you, you first can try to repair it, and the second yeah. time, chances are there's not enough. Um, what am I thinking of, well, the, of the... So it has. So, so the, two things happen when you have a tear, and it depends on the age that you get them. Okay. Older people who get meniscal tears often have arthritis with a meniscal tear, and those are hardly ever repaired. Okay. okay? What, so age, what of, age are you talking? I mean, any, you know, frankly, uh, people over 30 okay. start to get more degenerative meniscal tears, meaning the kind that where the collagen, you know, we, our tissues only last so long. So right. what happens over time is water content changes and they can start to break down and, and have a tear. That's where I was looking for, yeah. tissue, not yeah. enough tissue right. to repair it a second time, so well, you remove it. No, no. The way to think about it is it, it, if, if it's a very uh, concise configuration the way it tears and it's in continuity like it tears away from the periphery okay um for example that has a very good blood if you think about that chalk block think about the wide part of the chalk block that's where the blood supply comes in the meniscus so if the tear is near a good blood supply we can put stitches in it and it will heal you know a, a certain percentage of the time so you know the literature would say that about in isolated meniscal tears about 25 percent of them will re-tear over a five-year period uh, that, but then that's not sport specific or player specific. That's just all comers. Okay. If you repair a meniscus in the setting of an ACL tear, those tears actually do much better. In fact, the re-tear rate after an ACL reconstruction, when you repair the meniscus at the same time, goes from about 25% down to about 10 to 15%. Interesting. So it's much more common to have an enduring uh, repair when you, there's also an ACL injury. But when they happen in isolation, the statistics are not as favorable. Could a meniscus tear ever lead to an ACL in the same knee, ACL tear? You know, there's, there's no there's, science behind well, that. The science there is that uh, the meniscus uh, is a secondary stabilizer. So there are some who believe in the, uh, uh, that the stresses on an ACL, especially a reconstructed ACL, can be higher if someone is missing uh, meniscus. But that's a subtle thing, and I see it in my practice because I deal with a tertiary referral issue, which, you know, rarely patients will have an ACL reconstruction, the meniscus couldn't be repaired, it was taken out. And then within three to five years, the ACL starts to get loose. So some believe that not having a, a meniscus can lead to stress on the graft that we use to reconstruct the ACL, and they get loose over time, and they are good candidates to give them back a new one. Does that under, Do you understand that? Yes. So so going back to your one of your questions, how do you repair, how do you take out? In general, young people we try to repair for two primary reasons. One, there's a certain percentage who initially tear the meniscus that if you take it out, they can actually remain symptomatic. Now, that's very small, but there's some who will continue to have symptoms. So therefore, whenever possible to prevent that from happening, we'd like to repair it. The most common reason we want to repair it is that we believe that if you can repair it and get it to heal, that the incidence of arthritis down the road will be much less, right? Now, and, and there's, there's some data to support that, but it, it's a challenging one because even that isn't definitive. But in general, we'd love to have a meniscus and not have one, right? Obviously, the consequence is that they can re-tear. They tear to begin with, and they can re-tear again. The flip side is we have tears that have no chance of healing. Their tabs are flipped up. They're, they're like hang, hangnails. They're only attached on one side. 
when that happens, your only option really is to take it out or trim it. Not enough tissue. There's not enough tissue, and the configuration of the tear is one where the blood supply wouldn't support a healing yes. environment, okay. so you take it out. Okay. So most of our research now is on biologics. We're looking at really interesting ways. We have a stem cell trial that was done looking at meniscus re- regeneration. We have growth factors and platelet-rich plasma and some really exciting stuff. But, you know, it's not necessarily ready for prime time, but there's some really cool things. We're, we have a, 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 tish, a tissue engineering project where a meniscus can be regenerated just from from collagen in a, in a, in a, in a machine. You can re, regenerate a tissue that you can transplant. So you're not using human tissue, you're using uh, engineered tissue uh, that is synthetic. So those are other studies that have been done. So My final question, how serious a surgery and how do you determine how many weeks? So an NBA player has a meniscus tear, you remove it, you say four to six weeks. How? Why is it four to six weeks? You can I mean that. The, you know. And they're full weight bearing, yeah. like the next day. But right. why does it take so long? Steve, you know, the, the issue is first of all, no, no surgery is not serious in my mind. I mean, there's there's nothing in, there's nothing in life that can't be made worse by having surgery. Okay. Right. So when so, they say a five minute surgery, so, it's yeah. still serious. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it's a, the, the amount of time it takes to do surgery Irrelevant. is not relevant. Okay. Yep. So obviously there's seri- there are surgeries that have various levels of morbidity, scar formation, and and, and downtime, but um, it's very difficult to speak in, in broad strokes about how long it takes to get back because it depends what you're trying to, get, trying to get back to. If you said to me, look, I have a meniscal tear. I want you to take care of it. And I say, well, Steve, this is a, the, I, two little one-centimeter incisions. I trim out the meniscus. And your goal is to go back to work the next the, as soon as possible. You can go back to work the next day and you've met your goals. Yes. If you are a elite, high-performance athlete who has to cut, pivot, run, and and that's what they do. Obviously, there's some downtime involved after the surgery is done. There's some pain involved. So loading is there swelling the joint, too? Yeah, of course. Anytime no. you, you, we insult the joint with the surgery, there's some post-operative swelling. There could be bleeding, all kinds of things. Okay. So the joint has to reestablish itself. So that can, and then the athlete has to reestablish him or herself. So you could argue that it takes different periods of time based upon age. It takes different periods of time based upon how deconditioned they were up to the time of the injury. It takes different periods of time how well, how much pain they have post-operatively where they can't really re-engage. And you got to be careful. We've had situations in really elite-level athletes where they try to push it get back too quickly, right? And then the joint gets inflamed and they're shut down for an even longer period of time. Wow. So there's a whole spectrum of things. And, and to be honest, I'm not that smart. I can't predict how all these things are going to turn but out. But you and explain nobody it very well. But for a weekend warrior out there who says, I want to run again, Dr. Cole, in two months, I mean, how do they repair or what physical therapy? Yeah, we use a lot of initial physical therapy, regain motion, reduce swelling. We use ice. Um, and we regain quad function and, and core function and so forth. And it's a slow reinitiation of uh, and progression of low load to high load activities. But you know, for some people, depending on where the tear was and so forth, you got to be really careful that you don't overload them too soon, too early. So it is more serious than people think. Is what it's I'm getting. Com- at this. I would say it's more complicated than people think. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, we all love to make things very, very linear. Oh, and, you remove the meniscus, yeah. he's going to be fine, yeah, right? Right. It's just but, you know, uh, nothing is. Unfortunately, nothing we do is that simple. Yeah, whether it's a high level athlete or a weekend warrior, it's still going to be serious, and no surgery is not serious, right? That's right. Yeah. That's my opinion too. Great stuff, Doctor Cole. I've got <laughs> took a long time in that segment, but very interesting. I'm always learning a lot. Hope you are too, folks. Stay with us. More Sports Medicine Weekly after this. On ESPN Radio. We help gardeners keep gardening. We help runners keep running. We help golfers keep golfing. We help moms keep mothering. We help tennis players keep tennising. You get the point. 
At Athletical Physical Therapy and Occupational Therapy, we help people keep doing the things they love to do. So if you have an injury or a nagging pain that's holding you back, we can help. It can all start with a simple complimentary injury screening by a physical therapist or athletic trainer who will assess your strength, range of motion, and flexibility. Following your screening, we can make a recommendation and show you stretches or exercises to help you manage your symptoms and care for your condition so you can get back doing (laughs) whatever it is you love to do. To schedule your complimentary injury screening, call 1-877-ATHLETICO or go to athletico.com. The Bulls play here. The top snow, D3, bam! Tony Snow's third triple. And sometimes their bosses play on the radio as well. Let's bring in Bulls Vice President John Paxson. We're hoping, again, that we can be ready come playoff time, playing our best basketball in a rhythm and, and being able to use our depth and versatility. Bulls talk, Bulls guests on the home of the Bulls, ESPN 1000. The best athletes in the world and their medical teams have been trusting Donjoy products for over 30 years. With a goal to protect and return confidence in sport post-injury, Donjoy is the trusted leader to get and keep athletes in action. Whether it's football, basketball, soccer, volleyball, or even the official medical supplier to the U.S. ski team, always trust the global leader in sports medicine. Trust Donjoy, a product of djoglobal.com. Take ESPN with you everywhere. The ESPN radio app lets you listen to your favorite shows on your phone. Download it today. The ESPN radio app for the worldwide leader in sports. ESPN 1000. The Chicago Bulls, White Sox, and DePaul Blue Demons rely on Midwest Orthopedics at Rush for advanced orthopedic treatment. So can you. We are the team physicians for these Chicago teams, and we're ready to be on your healthcare team, too. Get expert care from these regional leaders at four Chicagoland locations. Learn more at RushOrtho.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, your world-class team physicians. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Well, that will do it for another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our producer and board operator, George Katsarillos. Our coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. We also want to thank David Cole for managing the website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Back to do it again next week. We'll see you then. The preceding program was a paid advertisement. The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000.